All right, let's go ahead and jump into our, our sermon notes. We've been in a series entitled Just Dance, and it's about celebrating what God celebrates. Last weekend, Ron talked to you about the, how God celebrates dads. The weekend before, about how God celebrates water baptism. And today, we're going to talk about celebrating communion. But keep in mind, the reason that God celebrates communion is because God celebrates relationships. Now, our scripture today is an awful lot of fun because somebody's in trouble, and it's not us. And that's always a good day for me. When people, when someone's in trouble, and it, the, my first question is, is it me? As long as it's not me, I don't get all that worried about it. Because to be honest, I've been married for 30 years. I spend a lot of time in trouble at home. The, you know, here at the, the church, the senior pastor, I spend a lot of time in trouble around here. And so whenever someone's in trouble and it's not me, I'm just, I know it's petty, but I feel good about that, all right? The church at Corinth is just in really hot water. The church in Corinth has really blown it, and the Apostle Paul, now we don't, I'm not even sure where we get this opinion, but historically we've always looked at Paul as this little short guy. But this guy is someone who is really intense and Paul would, from time to time, get mad. Now, I know a lot of Christ followers have this idea that, well, if you're a Christian, you never really get mad. That's not really a biblical concept. What the Bible says is the Bible says, grow angry, but sin not. Now, the Apostle Paul's anger doesn't go over into sin. But I've met Christ followers who thought, no, if you're a Christian, you should never get mad or upset about anything. Friends, in fact, I've seen them kind of walk around kind of with that look on their face. You need no, that ain't me, all right? There are things that just really tick me off. And, you know, but we've got to then control ourselves and not allow that anger to go into sin. The Apostle Paul here, he's angry and he's bothered, and so he's confronting them very, very directly. All right, take a look with me at the Scripture. Let's start at verse 17. If you have your Bible, I'm following, follow me in the New International Version. All right, in the following directives, this Paul to the church at Corinth, in the following directives, I have no... No praise for you. Underline that phrase. No praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Wouldn't it be awful to get a, a letter from the Apostle Paul and said, hey, your church services are doing more harm than they're doing good in people's lives. I hear you come together in verse 18 and that there is divisions among you. Underline that. That's one of the problems he addresses. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been different... Now, verse 19, I just want to let you know, this is a church insult, okay? This insult wouldn't work in the workplace or in school. This is a church insult. What he's saying is, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which one of you has God's approval. In other words, which one of you is acting more spiritual. So then... When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. Circle that phrase, Lord's Supper. Some of you grew up with it being called the Eucharist. Some of you, uh, the Lord's Table. I grew up in tradition that referred to it as communion. And so these are all names for what Paul's talking about here. So when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Certainly not in this manner. Now, he's recognizing there have been other things that they did really well. But in this particular case, he said, I have no praise for you. Verse 23. Now, in verse 23, he's going to begin to remind them, here's what I taught you. Here's what it's supposed to be about. The, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, 
on the night he was betrayed. Would you underline that? On the night he was betrayed. This is when communion starts. Jesus talks to him. It's just going to be a matter of hours till he's arrested. The trial, the beatings, the crucifixion. Communion starts just hours before the passion or the suffering of Christ begins. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, underline that phrase, unworthy manner. I'll talk to you about that. An awful lot of people have been scared to take communion because they're misunderstanding this verse. When I was a child, reading from the King James Version, it says, he, whoever eats or drinks unworthily eats or drinks to themselves damnation. And as an eight-year-old kid, I thought, that doesn't sound any good at all, all right? And so I'll, I'll explain to you, that's not what that's talking about, as if we could be good enough to deserve God's love. That's not what it's saying. Eats or drinks unworthily will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of, of the Lord. Letter A, we celebrate communion because God celebrates relationships. In other words, this is Jesus. He is giving himself to the disciples, giving himself to the church that's going to be birthed in just a matter of, uh, of weeks from this the, at, with the day of Pentecost. I mean, it's just going to, it, Jesus is committing himself to it. In other words, Jesus re values relationship. That's why we celebrate communion. It's a celebration of his relationship with us. Look at number one with me. We have lots of signs of belonging to each other. Communion is a tangible sign of mutual belonging. You know, it's amazing in our culture how many signs of belonging we actually have. The, how many of you are, are married? Raise your left hand. If you're married, raise your left hand. On your left hand, for most of you, there's a ring on there. In other words, that ring is a symbol of belonging, isn't it? In other words, I belong to Debbie and Debbie belongs to me. When we put those rings on, we said, as a pledge and in token of the vows between us made with this ring, I thee wed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that was a commitment. It's a sign of belonging to each other. The, at my house and at your house, you have lots of signs of belonging. I, I brought a few down here that some of these were in my office. Some of these I, I brought from the house. This one was in my office. This is a, a, a picture that I have. It's a, an elite group that I belong to, and I, I'm pretty proud to belong to this group. These are the founding pastors of Cornerstone 22 years ago. It was, this is on the 20-year anniversary. They gave us these plaques the, commemorating the 20-year anniversary. And so tell the person next to you what you get in year 22 for the anniversary. Tell the person next to you. Nothing, and I'm pretty bitter about it, all right? But on the 20 year, you know, they had a cake for me and Oreos. I mean, it was a big deal. But I, I have this picture because I belong to that group. You have signs like this at your house, don't you? This one, most all of you have this picture at your house, not the same one, but one like it. How many of you ever had to dress up in the white shirts and jean and go to the beach and get your picture taken? Raise your hand, you've had done that? I mean, this is just like a ritual with women, all right? You just have to go and do that. In fact, now, this here, there's the two boys and Debbie and I. This is our dog, not the current dog. This is a Labrador Retriever, a chocolate lab. How many of you have ever had a lab before? Those are real dogs. For those of you that have poodles, I really don't know what's wrong with you, all right? The, what I see, in fact, the people I really feel bad for are people who walk giant poodles. There's just something wrong with that. I mean, I look at that, and man, there's just something not manly about walking 
walk in a giant poodle. I, I'm just sorry. And for those of you who have cats, I'm not even sure why you come to this church. And so, you know, the, but this is a real dog. And so we go through that whole thing and we have our picture taken. My wife's very detail-oriented. So she goes off and asking the, the photographer 20 questions. I'm just sitting there, but, you know, not paying any attention. The boys and the dog, you're at the beach. What did the boys and the dogs do? They went and got in the water, fully clothed. Well, this wouldn't have been a problem to me, but we were supposed to go to dinner right after this. And so, no problem. You know, I'm a very relaxed dad. I drive through Jack in the Box. I get the dog and the boys Jack in the Box, leave them in the car, go and have a nice dinner with Debbie. But I have this picture because it's a symbol of belonging. There's a, there's a picture of Debbie and I, because belo we belong to each other. There's a, a picture of my youngest son. I, I have that in my office. That's his graduation picture, because he belongs to me. Pastor Ron Baum didn't think I'd notice, but he snuck up to his office and added to my table a picture of him and his family here. <laughs> this is Ron and his wife and his three girls. The problem is the youngest girl doesn't belong to him anymore. She got married a couple weeks ago. I was invited to the wedding. I really enjoyed it. But the, he has this in his office because it's a symbol of belonging. This is my oldest son, my son that I lost five and a half years ago. This is his letterman's jacket. And it's a, he's particularly proud of, of this patch. It was for the All-Metro League when he played football here. But a, a letterman's jacket is a sign of belonging. How many of you either got a jacket or a class ring from the high school that you went to? Raise your hand if you got a jacket or a class ring. Why, it, it was important to you. It was a symbol of belonging. I have put these gathered around this because the receiving of communion is about belonging. It's about connection to one another. And I wanted you to have that picture in your mind. There are so many arguments about the subject of communion. In fact, I'll mention two or three of them to you. There are so many arguments about it that we often lose sight of the real purpose. In fact, look at the next one with me. Number two, the arguments about communion often obscure the reason for communion. It's about belonging. It's about connection, but we've allowed it to be about division with one another. Letter A, some of you were taught that the communion elements become the actual body and blood of Christ. The, the, the actual body and blood, even though the accidents of the bread and the wine remain the same. You probably heard it phrased that way. The actual body and blood of Christ, even though the accidents remain the same. That was, that's traditional Catholic doctrine for those 42 percent of Cornerstone that grew up in the Catholic Church. The second, the, the group of you that were raised in mainline churches, if you were, you probably recognize that term. A mainline church, they generally teach the special presence of Christ. In other words, that Christ is present in a way that is substantially different from your regular private prayer time. And so that you may have been taught that. The third one there, that the receiving of the bread and the wine is symbolic of the sacrifice that Christ made. Now, look at number three with me. In case you're wondering, I disagree with the first one. In other words, I didn't grow up in the Catholic Church. I didn't grow up with that doctrine. That's not a doctrine I would agree with. But the, let's make sure that we understand that it's supposed to be, letter A, a meaningful thing. I disagree with their, their doctrine. I was taught the third one, but in, irrespective of that argument, let's keep in mind that for all of us, communion is to be a meaningful time. In other words, it's supposed to be a time of, of really recognizing this sign that Jesus that performed for us, this tangible symbol of what Christ did. It's something that we're not supposed to take lightly. The church in Corinth made the mistake of taking it lightly. And Paul is just livid with them. He confronts their behavior. The second one there, it's to be a serious celebration. 
In other words, it, it, even though it's a celebration of the sacrifice of Christ, it's done with a reverent heart. There is no way that, that communion is supposed to be a party time. It's just not. Think of the events that surround communion. The disciples are there. Dinner has been finished. Jesus is well aware. He's already prophesied the betrayal. He's told them, one of you is going to betray me. This is all, he already knows what's coming. He understands that he's about to go through. When we refer to the passion of Christ, we're talking about the suffering of Christ. The passion time is just ahead of him. He is about to enter dark days. This isn't a party time thing. He's giving it to them. This is my body. This is my blood. These are tangible things you can hold in your hand that you would remember and honor what I am about to do, that I am going to give myself for you and to you. Because take a look at letter C with me under number three. Communion is our sign that Jesus belongs to us and we belong to him and we belong to each other. In other words, it's important for us to realize this is something where, where if we lose sight of the fact of this connection and belonging, we have missed the point. Maybe we missed the point because of an argument. Maybe we missed the point because we weren't paying attention. But the truth of the matter is, communion is about him belonging to us, us belonging to him and to each other. All right, let's take a look at letter B because let's talk about the Corinthians in trouble. They're in trouble, I'm not. It's a good day. All right. Number one, the Christians tend to romanticize the early church. We'll say things like, oh, if only the church could, today could be like the early church. Friends, the early church really stank in a lot of ways, okay? The early church had all kinds of problems, all kinds of division, all kinds of arguments, all kinds of fight. They were trying to do church without having the written guidebook. The Bible hadn't. The Gutenberg Press is hundreds of years away. They have just a kind of a smattering of scripture that's been shared with them by Peter and the Apostle Paul and Apostle John. And so they're really trying to figure every single thing out. And they are struggling. And here in the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, they've really gotten off track. And so the Apostle Paul has to bring them back. In 2 Corinthians, they really get off track. The Apostle Paul brings brings them back. It was a difficult time. Be careful of romanticizing the idea of, well, we, we ought to be like the early church. There were some really good things, but there were some awful things as well. Take a look at number two. Here's the three problems that Paul has in mind that he's going to confront. Letter A, they turned a serious celebration into a party. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, when we'd go on vacation, we'd get in the car and drive across the country. How many of you did that when you were a kid? And my dad, you know, he was the kind of guy, he just lived for a picnic. And so we would drive and pull off at the rest stop, and dad would, you know, he might have forgotten one of us boys, but he never forgot the ice chest. I mean, you know, he had that ice chest, and, and that was just like his prized possession. And, you know, inside that ice chest, he would have this stuff called pimento loaf. Have you ever heard of pimento loaf before? I'm not sure that's even legal. You know, you buy it out of the, the back end of trucks. I mean, you know, it's just one of this hardcore lunch meat. And so my dad would have that, and we'd, we'd have those little Vienna sausages that you'd pull the little top. You guys remember these, this stuff? And so we'd, and man, my dad was just thrilled to be able to have that kind of a picnic. Friends, I was traumatized by this, and so my rule is if I have to go further than six hours, I'm getting on a plane, okay? Six hours is as far as I drive with out flying there, all right? And so but the idea of a picnic, that's not a bad thing, but man, it was a bad idea for church. 
In other words, picture what's going on. They are gathering together and everyone is bringing their own dinner and eating it and having this party atmosphere. The Apostle Paul says, wait a minute. The one of you goes home full, another one goes home hungry, another one gets drunk. I have no praise for you in any of this. He is just irritated. It's because they turned it into a party. Let her be. They were being unloving. How many of you have ever been to what's called a potluck dinner? You guys know what a potluck dinner is? The, you know, you just eat, everyone brings a dish and everyone just shares it. They weren't doing that. They were bringing food and then not sharing it with everyone who was there. And so someone who was poor that didn't, oh, hey, just, out of, just so you know, don't ever have a potluck with a bunch of 20-something-year-olds, okay? You are going to get about eight bags of chips, and that is it, man. The, I, just, I made that mistake one time. We had a potluck. A bunch of 20-something-year-olds were all invited. Thank the Lord my wife was there to bring food, all right? Because, I mean, those, they just did, first of all, 20-something, most of them are poor, but they, just, they don't have any concept of a potluck dinner. The around Cornerstone, if there's one thing we know, it's food, all right? But you would never bring food, and then just you eat it. But that's exactly what was going on. Party atmosphere, being unloving. And the third problem is something whenever people get together, the third problem was that let her see there was division among them. There was factions. There was cliques. There were people saying, well, you know, you're not really part of our group. Well, no, no, I follow so-and-so. Well, you know, we're, we're really a little more spiritual about this than, than that group is. And so there was division among them. And the Apostle Paul said, all of this stinks. All of this is wrong. This isn't how I taught you. I explained to you the way communion was supposed to be, and you have twisted it into something that I can't even recognize. I have no praise for you in this. And the Apostle Paul just lays it out for him. Now, he lays it out strongly enough that the church has cured this particular problem. There's all kinds of stuff in the Bible. Every time we read it, we have to come back and work hard on it. Communion is one of those things. Even though we argue about the doctrine, nobody makes a party out of communion anymore because they don't want to hear from Paul. Nobody acts unlovingly where one is served and one is refused because they don't want to get a letter from Paul. They really try, and whatever divisions they are that there are in a church at communion time, we really try and prayerfully put those things aside. Friends, churches today don't want the letter to the Corinthians that they got. They don't want it delivered to their address. So we work really hard that when communion time comes, that we treat it as something special, treat it as something meaningful, to do it in a reverent attitude. Take a look at number three with me in your notes, though. The unworthy word. This one I've got to explain to you. The, an awful lot of people have been scared away from communion. Remember, we are all unworthy. It's really talking about it being irreverent or else being unloving towards others. Oftentimes, people won't receive communion because they'll think, well, you know, I, I did this and I did that. I, I don't really, you know, that, I'm not really worthy. To, friends, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about doing it with a party atmosphere it's talking about doing it in an unloving way. It's talking about doing it with division in your heart. Friends, it's not talking about how good you are. None of us are good enough to receive communion. None of us are worthy except for Christ's worthiness. What it's talking about here is be reverent when we receive communion. So I'm going to invite the ushers to begin to, to serve communion to you. I'll ask you just hold it. But while they're coming, the first question in your mind is, should you receive communion? The answer is yes, you should. 
Well, Pastor Ron, I don't attend here. Receive communion with us anyway. Well, Pastor Ron, I'm, I, I really am not sure of my commitment to Christ as of yet. I'll give you an opportunity to be sure. Receive communion with us. I would, I would love for every single person in the room to receive communion with us. I would never invite you to my house, sit down at the table, and eat in front of you. I would never be so rude as to do that. When we receive communion, we need to remember this is the Lord's house. This is the Lord's table. And you are invited to the Lord's table. Put your notes aside. When you receive communion elements, just hold them because we'll eat and drink together. I'll finish out the notes for you while, while they're serving you. Don't worry about filling anything in. What I have to say to you, I think you'll be able to remember without filling in any of the notes. In that last section, here's what it says. Communion is about connection, and connection always begins with commitment. The song that the, the young ladies dance to talks about the, the willingness to follow, the commitment that comes. I thought about how in the Old Testament, there was a, a young woman and her husband died, and so her mother-in-law said to her, you should go back to your people. In other words, the mother-in-law knew that she was going to be poor, and the mother-in-law knew they weren't going to have anything, but the daughter-in-law said, no, no, no. I will not leave you. Your people will be my people. And she sticks with her throughout her lifetime. Friends, the connection always starts out with commitment. The connection that you have in your family is because you are wholeheartedly committed to them. And you have lots of those signs. You have pictures and you have letterman's jackets. You have all those things. All of those connections are because you have commitment. And I want to talk to you about a few types of commitment right now. The first commitment is we receive communion is our commitment to Christ. In other words, the, the commitment of he will belong to me and I will belong to him. He will be, I will be committed to him and I will be committed to his kingdom. For some of you that, that aren't sure of your commitment to Christ, before we receive communion, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to, to be sure of that commitment. I'll give you the opportunity to, to make a commitment right here. Wouldn't it be a great day as we receive communion, as God celebrates that, to also celebrate that you're forming a relationship with him today? I, I think that'd be a wonderful thing. And so don't, don't be nervous. I'll, I'll explain that to you in just a moment. But the, the next kind of commitment is about our commitment to a local body of believers. When we talk about the church, we, oftentimes we talk about the global church. Most of the time in the New Testament when it said the church, it was talking about a local body of believers. When it said the church at Corinth, it was talking about a group of people that looked a lot like you. They, they dressed a little bit different and their, their, their lifestyle was a little bit different, but they were just people like you and I. And so when the Bible talks about the church, it was usually referring to the church in Jerusalem or the church at Corinth or the church in Galatia or the church at Ephesus. These are churches. One of the things that it's important in your life is to develop a commitment to a local body of believers. Now, for those of you that are just visiting today, I am so grateful you're here and you are welcome to be a part of this congregation. But I don't want you to get the impression I'm trying to sell you something because I'm not. I just want to talk to, for those of you that, that are, are weighing over, is this your church? There comes a time when you need to make a commitment to it, where you need to commit, this is my church. I will be committed here, and I will be committed to you. In other words, the, the relationships aren't something that, that we should look at in, day, in terms of days and months. Real relationships are, are looked at in terms of years and in decades. 
My close friends have been, we have been close for years. My closest friends I have been friends with for decades. My closest friend, my wife, we have been married for 30 years and been together since we were kids. Friends, it, it's a, it is a lifetime developed together. What I want to ask you this is, are you committed to Christ and his kingdom? Are you committed to a local body of believers? I know we live in a culture that's very consumer-oriented. Well, I'll go for this Bible study. I'll go for this music. I'll, I'll go to hear this teacher. I'll go here. And, and so you never sink roots anywhere, whether it's Cornerstone or somewhere else. You need to attend and be in a Bible study and use your gifts in ministry and be in the group together. You need to find a local body of believers and commit because I'll just be candid with you. Those commitments are, are going to become important when life turns difficult. You see, communion was given just before the storm struck, just before the suffering of Christ and the disciples took place. You see, the, I brought you this coat not just because it's a symbol of belonging, but because it represents to me a loss. You see, this was my oldest son's coat, and you know, when I look at it, it was hanging in Debbie's closet, and she's always very careful with it. Last night, I left all of the pictures here, but I had one of the staff, I said, go lock up that coat, because if something happened to that coat, I would have to leave the state. <laughs> Several years ago, when we suffered tragic loss, I didn't have to go look for people to stand shoulder to shoulder with me. I didn't have to do that. I came here. When life fell apart, I came here. Friends, this is the place where my family is planted. I am committed to Christ. I am committed to his kingdom. But I am committed here. And I am committed to you. Just as you over the years have been committed to me. You see, communion is about connection. And connection starts with commitment. Whether it's this body of believers or another body of believers, there will come a time when you will need them. There will come a time when you will desperately need brothers and sisters in Christ to stand shoulder to shoulder with you. I always appreciated my son's optimism. He was never as big as me. He, he just wasn't. But yet, I asked him one day, I said, son, that, that coat's awful big on you. And he said, well, dad, don't worry, I'll grow into it. And so I appreciated that he got a big size to where I can wear it from time to time. But friends, when we suffer, we suffer together. When we rejoice, we rejoice together. That's the connection I'm talking about. Bow your heads with me. For those of you that, that you're not quite sure of your commitment to Christ, that's okay. And I am so glad you're here. And this is, this is your time. I'm just going to invite you, for those of you that are ready to make a commitment, I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything this week. I, I just want to give you that opportunity. How do you make a commitment to Christ? You belong to Him and Him belong to you? It's not complicated. In fact, I'll just invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my past. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, come into my heart today into my heart to stay Lord Jesus be the Lord of my life Pastor Ron and others have told me that you went to the cross for me the Lord Jesus you went to the tomb for me Lord Jesus you came out of that tomb 
because you have power over all things. Jesus, I want to belong to you and you to me. Lord, as people invite you into their hearts, I pray that we'll not be concerned with the formula. But Lord Jesus, you'll help them to understand how very much you celebrate a relationship with them. So Lord, I pray that those that are making a commitment today, that they would know how glad you are to give yourself to them as they have given themselves to you. Lord Jesus, as we receive communion, we are so grateful for this this tangible sign you gave us of belonging. And Lord, we pray you would bless the communion elements. It says, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and passed it among them and said, eat. Would you eat with me? And in the same manner, he took the cup and passed it among them invited them to drink with him. Would you drink with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Lord, we know we didn't deserve it, but we're so grateful for your generous love. We know that we're not worthy, good enough, but Jesus, we're glad that your worthiness is more than enough for us. Lord, I pray that you'd have your hand on each one here. That, Lord, we would be wholly committed to you, wholly committed to your kingdom, wholly committed to a local body of believers that says, this is my home. And, Lord, wholly committed to each other that we will struggle together and we will cry together and we will rejoice together. And in the scary times of life, we will hold hands together. And, Lord, we will be your people And as your word says, you will be our God. Lord, we love you and ask all in your name. Amen.